Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Ephraim Tagu here in Zimbabwe. And on this week's show, we speak to Nigeria and Everton midfielder Alex Iwobi on handling the pressure from the fans and on the different roles that he's playing at Everton. It's just like whenever I'm called upon to play in a position, I always give my best. And obviously, of recent form, I've been able to play numerous positions and do well for the team. That's coming later, plus a look at the biggest transfers in Africa in the recent window, where South African club Mamelodi Sundown spent nearly $3 million on Chilean player Marcelo Allende. And also we analyse the latest major incident of racism in European football, targeted at Real Madrid's Vinicius Junior. Well, that's all coming up. Uh, So it's an international break with many teams playing international matches over these coming days and with the UEFA Nations League also on. These will be the last friendlies before the World Cup in Qatar in November and the five African teams are making the most of it. Tunisia will play Brazil in France. They beat Comoros 1-0 on Thursday in a lower key affair. Ghana will also play Brazil in France and they'll face Nicaragua in Spain. Morocco play Chile and Paraguay in Spain Senegal play Bolivia in France and also face Iran and Cameroon are travelling to play South Korea in South Korea they also have a friendly against Uzbekistan Uh, so Ida what do you make of these fixtures as we look forward to the World Cup Well, Cameroon's fixture in South Korea, Steve, definitely piqued my interest. I mean, the distance alone is incredible. And the dynamics of that do look to be quite interesting. Looking at Brazil taking on Ghana and Tunisia, well, the Salazar will definitely figure this as good practice ahead of that group match. Come Qatar, and that group match will be against Cameroon. Tunisia in a tricky group as well, you know, alongside France, Denmark and Australia. Now, the Carthage Eagles, Steve, do have a number of French-based players, so it will be familiar territory for some of them. Looking at Morocco and Senegal facing off against South American opposition in the form of Chile and Bolivia, who will not be taking part in the World Cup. So suffice it to say that intentions from both sets of teams will be very different, but that shouldn't stop the African teams from taking full advantage of the friendlies. Yes, and we'll certainly be building up to the FIFA World Cup here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now, the preliminary round of this season's CAF Champions League was completed last weekend, and Ghanaian giants Asante Kotoko were the biggest team to be knocked out. They lost to Burkina Faso's Kadiogo on penalties. Other results included a 4-0 aggregate win for Simba of Tanzania over Malawi's Nyasa Big Bullets and a 9-0 aggregate win for the other Tanzanian club Yanga. They beat Zalan of South Sudan. Well, the first round ties will be on next month. They'll see the winners going through to the group stage and Asik Mimosas of Ivory Coast against Horoya of Guinea will be among the toughest matchups. 
So, what has stood out for you, Ida? Well, there were a few interesting situations, Steve. I mean, you've mentioned Horoya of Guinea there, and their advancing into the next round was basically as a result of a bye they got after their opponents pulled out. You see, Horoya was set to face the Hawks, that is, the Gambian champions, but they withdrew due to lack of funds. Steve, yet another pointer as to just how expensive it is to travel for competition within the continent. A strange situation happened with the Comoros side Vulcan Club. Now, this is after they failed to show up for their tie against Seychellian club La Paz. Steve, the team was nowhere to be found prior to kickoff, and it's yet to be clarified on whether they had communicated or not. But yes, Asante Kotoko bundled out. But Steve, you know what? If one looks at the club's history in the CAF Champions League, then it doesn't come off as too big of a shock. I mean, they've exited either at the preliminary or the first rounds, dating as far back as one can remember. The last time, Steve, that Kotoko got to the group stage was in 2006. Now, Burundi's club flambeau, seeing off Libya's Al-Itihad, was another interesting result. And not that the Libyan clubs have been putting in incredible results per se in the CAF Champions League, but it was still surprising to see minnows like the Burundis put in such a confident result against the Libyan giants. But with that said, Steve, the big boys now enter the fray, you know, with uh, the seeded teams like defending champions Widad and former champions Al-Ali now joining in. Yes, yeah, so the next round of the CAF Champions League is on next month. The winners will qualify for the group stage. And now we talked a lot about the recent transfer window in Europe, what was happening there, where there was record spending in the English Premier League. But of course, it's much harder to follow what's happening in Africa in terms of transfers, where many fees are not made public. Now, African football expert Nuhu Adams posted on his social media the five most expensive signings in Africa this window. Uh, the most expensive move was Marcelo Allende. He's from Chile. He moved to Mamelodi sundowns of South Africa for $2.9 million. Mohamed Chibi of Morocco went to Pyramids of Egypt for $1.8 million. Uh, Bruno Savio, a Brazilian, joined Al-Athli of Egypt for $1.5 million. Uh, Samson Akinula of Benin went to Zamalek in Egypt for $1.2 million. And what's believed to be the fifth most expensive transfer in this just-ended window, also for Zamalek of Egypt, Ibrahima Njai of Senegal moving for $850,000. Some interesting transfers there, Ida. Interesting indeed, Steve. I mean, we're so often used to seeing Egyptian clubs taking up the top sport in such lists. And look, despite the fact that it is a club from South Africa this time round, I mean, you still see the spending power Egyptian clubs have in dominating the list. Now, Marcelo Allende to the Sundowns. Definitely a record transfer. The almost $3 million deal, Steve, is thought to be the highest ever paid by a South African club for a player. 
And to think that his previous Uruguayan club actually got him on a free transfer, you know, that's definitely what I like to call smart business, at least on their side. But look, to his credit, he did get into the South African League full steam ahead, full throttle. He netted two goals in his first two games with the Sundowns, though more will be expected to justify that price tag. Pyramid spending close to $2 million for Moroccan Mohamed Chibi isn't shocking, at least to me. The Egyptian club, Steve, has over the years cemented itself as a serious top spender. And don't forget that they are a Saudi-backed club. Now, the long arm of the Saudi money, Steve, doesn't just cut to the Manchester cities in the UK. It's also found its way to North Africa. I mean, for example, this is a team that had no problem in getting Ghanaian John Antwi for $1.5 million. This is back in 2019. As for Al-Ali, well, they definitely had a season to forget. You know, no CAF Champions League. They finished outside the top two for the first time in, what, 30 years? So something definitely needs to change. And uh, they have set aside a special budget of around $12.8 million, you know, hopefully to bring some fresh blood in. Brazilian Bruno Savio, definitely the highlight. You know, he had an outstanding season with his club, Club Bolivar. The 28-year-old scored 16 goals. He got in four assists in what was 31 appearances in all competitions for his club. Looking at Zamalek, of course, on the path, you know, to just solidifying a team for that title defense. Steve, another really interesting thing is that while we are talking big money, especially in the context of African football, last season, for example, totally eclipsed some of the numbers we're seeing now. Al-Ali, for example, spent quite quite a bit of money. I mean, they dished out $3.5 million for Aliu Dieng. They paid out another $3 million for goalkeeper Mohamed El Shinawi, another $3 million for South African Percy Tao, and there was another $2.5 million on Mohamed Sharif. So they did actually end up spending quite a lot of money in a season that, you know, didn't quite live up to expectation. So we are now seeing some clubs such as Al-Ali, you know, seemingly at least cutting back on their spending while others have taken it up a notch. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, a background to the Vinicius Junior racist abuse incident in Spain. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, will Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang be a hit at Chelsea? Uh, The Gabonese star left the Premier League last season after falling out with Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta and he went to Barcelona. But he's back in the Premier League now after a deadline day move to Chelsea. So we asked, how do you think Aubameyang will do at the Blues? We had very mixed views on this one. Uh, Firstly, Ibrahim Hassan Osman in Malawi says he's a good player. I like him. I think he will do well. Uh, But Foster from Nigeria says the Premier League is a great league, uh, so he should get ready for the struggle again. 
Francis Wanjiru is in Kenya. Uh, Francis says a Timo Werner who Chelsea offloaded is better than a Bamiyang. In fact, uh, sending Callum Hudson-Odoi on loan and buying a Bamiyang is a loss to Chelsea, says Francis. Uh, Bongani Jacha in Zimbabwe says, I'm not sure what the time at Barcelona has done for Abameyang's game. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Oyelami Kunle in Nigeria points to the stats, saying Abameyang played 18 games for Barca and scored 11 goals, so he can still be scoring for Chelsea. Uh, then many people had reservations about the number nine jersey at Chelsea, which Aubameyang is wearing, uh, that number nine jersey that's in the likes of Romelu Lukaku struggling in recent seasons. Uh, among them, uh, Baban Kaka Zakaria in Nigeria and Kingsley Andrew in Nigeria, who says as long as he took the number nine, he won't do well. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Kenneth Atayohemba says, is it the number nine jersey that matters or is it the number nine position on the pitch that counts? Aubameyang's been a top striker throughout his career, says Kenneth. Uh, Zigzag Co. WWG says uh, Aubameyang can challenge for the golden boot this season. Uh, Stanley Tinga in South Africa, though, says he's going to need time. And Mugarura James uh, Ivan says Thomas Tuchel, the former coach, was the main factor for Aubameyang to come to Chelsea. And now that he's gone, there are more difficult days ahead for him. He might even exit before his contract expires, uh, says James. Uh, Mike Langat in Kenya also is pessimistic, saying this will mark the end of Aubameyang's career. Uh, but Mtokozi Radebe in South Africa says once he gets his form back, you'll see that he's going to be among the top five scorers this season. Um, Zamisi Gift Voyezana in South Africa says no, he won't do well. Even Armando Breuer will outscore Aubameyang. Samura Pante in Sierra Leone says he will succeed at Chelsea. And also thinking uh, the same in this voice note, here's Balong Baji in the Gambia. I think Per Emerick Aubameyang is there not to participate only, but to compete too. Um, he is a player who is very, very difficult to be held at bay. And he is certain of what he is doing. Yes, he might fail sort of scoring many goals, uh, but he will do uh, his very best, I mean, to see Chelsea remain in top four or even win the cup, I mean, due to his uh, uncompromising gymnast. Thanks there to Belong Baji. Uh, others had reservations about the service that Aubameyang will get there. Uh, Ferrol Dabala in Ethiopia says the lack of assisting midfielders will be the problem. And Aonu Israel says that, well, he can do well, but only if we get him a solid, creative midfielder. And uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says Aubameyang will have his best season in the Premier League. He can even end as the top goal scorer in England, says uh, Sideko. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments. Uh, this week, Abameyang did uh, say that it's been difficult playing with a mask and he doesn't yet feel that he's 100%. So it probably will take a few more games before Abameyang has a chance of getting back to his best form. Well, this week on social media, we're asking, do you think that Mohamed Salah can bounce back? It's been a tough start to the season for Salah, with Liverpool below their best and with the Egyptian lacking his usual sparkle. Uh, last season's joint top scorer has two goals in six games. Uh, some people feel that he hasn't been the same player since the Africa Cup of Nations earlier this year. So do you think that Mohamed Salah can get back to his best? 
You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Will Mohamed Salah bounce back from what has been a challenging start to the season? We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to our interview with Nigeria and Everton midfielder Alex Iwobi. Now, Iwobi's inconsistent form has meant that he's had an indifferent start to life on Merseyside after joining Everton from boyhood club Arsenal in 2019. He burst onto the scene as a wide attacking player at the Gunners, but Everton manager Frank Lampard has turned Iwobi into a hard-running, versatile, technical attacking midfielder. Uh, the 26-year-old has been impressive in a central midfield role this season, earning rave reviews for his Premier League displays which have shown both good pass selection and distribution. Now, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Iwobi and asked how he feels about reigniting his career at Everton with the social media criticism and missing out on the World Cup with Nigeria. And first he asked about the different roles he's being used in with Everton. Uh, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I've been playing in several positions growing up as a kid. Um, it, it's just like whenever I'm called upon to play in a position, I always give my best. And obviously of recent form, I've been able to play numerous positions and do well for the team. But yeah, no, whenever I'm called upon, I always give 100%, whether that's in goal, <laughs> whether that's up front anyway, I'll try. But of course, those who monitor and follow your game would say it doesn't bring out the best in you because I mean you um, let you bring out the best in you I mean does that really is that the reflection of what people say um, no because my qualities will be required in different positions so like for example if I'm playing right wing back for Everton mm -hmm. I've been asked to defend a bit more and I've been disciplined when I've been told to do so if I'm playing in midfield my engine has been required to run up and down the pitch and link the play from defence to attack so Wherever I'm called upon to play, my qualities and my attributes have been used to an advantage just depending on what position I play. And also, how do you deal with those who praise you this week and then week, the next weekend is about from coming from hero to zero and all that? How do you handle such criticism mentally? Um, before, I used to take note and look and listen out for what people say, but I'm at this age where the only criticism I really like react upon is myself. I'm the one that judges my performances at the end of the day. I do get external factors t like telling me what I can improve on and what I can do to get better. But at the end of the day, I just focus on my own opinion. As my own, it's my own opinion that matters to me. You were not there when Nigeria failed to qualify for the World Cup. But how devastating was it knowing that you won't be going to another World Cup? Um, of course, it was disappointing. I was watching at home, my family and friends, hoping and praying that Nigeria will go through. But it's just one of those things that. We have to bounce back and go again. I mean, what hurt me the most is that I couldn't be there with them to support and physically, but I was there in spirit and I can't fault any of them, their efforts. Everyone gave 100% and tried to battle for our country. It just wasn't meant to be. Well, that's Alex Iwobi speaking to Oluwa Sheena Akaleji and Sheena also spoke to Iwobi back in 2019 when he was still with Arsenal. He had the same things to say about pressure and criticism from the fans. Um, well, it depends. Everyone's different, but me, I'm mentally strong enough to... Obviously, everyone gets criticised. Everyone's entitled to have their own opinions, but I don't really look at that. I don't try to dwell on the negatives. I try to see the positives as much as I can. If I make a mistake, I try to use it as a lesson so I can try and improve and better myself. But, yeah, we have, we have a lot of fans. We have a lot of good fans as well. So, yeah, Arsenal's a great club to be at. Talking about handling, the, um, I mean, the sort of pressure and the criticism and all of that, 
you have you have come in for a mix of both this season. Praised at the same time vilified by fans. I mean, do you understand why? <laughs> no, but they are entitled for, to their own opinion. I'm just happy with the progress I've made this season. I'll be able to get more goals than I have in the previous seasons. I've got a few more assists as well. So as long as I'm progressing and I'm trying to do my best for the team, that's what really matters. So that's Alex Iwobi there. Uh, now, Stuart's away again this week, and I'm joined again by my colleague from Star FM Zimbabwe. That's Ephraim Tagu. Um, so Iwobi is used to dealing with criticism, uh, as are most Premier League players. Interesting to see him in this new role this season with uh, Everton, Ephraim. Yes, he's asked to to be versatile. He's asked to uh, drop uh, deep and uh, do a bit of defending. When it's time to um, uh, play with fullbacks, uh, he's usually the one who's employed as a fullback. Uh, but, you know, people forget something about Alex Iwobi. He's been around for, for such a long time. People forget he's only 26 years old. He's still young, and um, he can really uh, run up and down the pitch and uh, do a bit of defending. And to just show how much confidence that uh, Frank Lambert has in him. He's started all the games and he's played 90 minutes in all the games. So he's one of those players that he relies on. And um, Everton have had back-to-back clean sheets for the first time this season. They managed to get a victory, uh, their first of the season against West Ham, keeping a clean sheet in that game as well. And Alex Iwobi has been key to all of that. So it's been a a progression for him uh, in terms of his career. Uh, He burst onto the scene as a young Arsenal player who was forward-thinking, but now he's just shown that he's versatile. He can actually defend. So for me, I think the best years are yet to come for Alex Iwobi. And uh, if you're starting at a club like Arsenal uh, and uh, if you've got uh, the fans all around Nigeria, all around Africa, you've got to learn to handle the pressure. Uh, so much pressure. Uh, so much pressure. Um, at a time when Iwobi was playing for Arsenal, the criticism I felt wasn't fair because Arsenal were not playing well. Arsenal were not living up to the standards of yesteryear Arsenal. So he was playing in a team with expectations to win things, to win the title, to challenge Manchester City, uh, to challenge Liverpool, to challenge Chelsea and all these other big teams. And he was young himself. You know, he was, he was finding his feet. He was trying to fit into that team. So that pressure that he got at Arsenal, and he did exceptionally well, I think at Everton now, the pressure is there because the team is not doing well. Let's be honest about that. They're, they're not where they want to be, uh, but he's used to this pressure and, and he can carry the team and he's developing into the leader that Everton need. And because uh, of his uh, good recent form, Iwobi has been uh, nominated uh, for September's Premier League Player of the Month. Uh, so Iwobi came through the Arsenal juniors and uh, the Gunners really showed their commitment to developing youngsters when Ethan Nwaneri became the youngest player ever to appear in the Premier League as he came on as a sub in the Gunners game against Brentford last Sunday. And Nwaneri, who has Nigerian parents, was 15 years and 181 days old. Um, amazing stat, Ephraim, but uh, surely too young for the English Premier League. Yeah, um, you know, I've got a smile on my face because I'm about to give Africa some hope. Alexi Wobi played for the Eng- England youth teams. Then he decided to turn out for, for Nigeria. So maybe in one area might <laughs> go the same route. So Nigerian fans, you know, just um, keep your fingers crossed. 
there, there has been hope for Nwaneri for a very long time, even at, at under 12 level. Uh, as a 13 year old, there was so much, um, so much hope. He, he has trained before with the, with the first team and he's looking very good. And if he's half as good, as as the person that he he broke this or he took this record from, who is Cesc Fabregas, if he's half as good as him, then there's a gem, uh, and we're going to enjoy watching him play. Cesc Fabregas uh, had made his debut a year older; he was 16, and at 16 years of age, uh, he it didn't take him long for him to become a regular starter in that team. 17 years old, 18 years old, he was starting for Arsenal, became Arsenal captain, became a stalwart at Barcelona and the Spanish national team, and it goes on and on and on and on. And if he's half as great as that, then yeah, we were in for it. But Mikel Arteta said he might need to take three steps back. <laughs> for me, that meant from playing in the first team, that's one step. Second step, the bench. Third step, the reserves. So I think he's going back to the reserves. Uh, yeah, because I mean, you've got to uh, give a player a gentle introduction. There's a risk of injuries when you're that young uh, as well and uh, uh, dealing with uh, all that goes with it. But uh, could be a very, very big player in years to come, uh, Ethan Nwaneri. I'm, I'm reminded of um, Erling Haaland who continually refused to go to play for these big teams. He continually said, look, I need to, to play at Salzburg first, play at Dortmund first, before I go to a team that is challenging for titles and uh, challenging for, for Europe. So I think if they can, if they can do that with Nwaneri or uh, the route that uh, Martin Odegaard took, the Arsenal captain, he also burst onto the scene as a 15-year-old at Real Madrid. And uh, he went to a big team. It never really worked for him until he was of age. And now he's the Arsenal captain at 22 years of age. So now you can see that uh, it needs to be done gently. Yeah, the young talents uh, should be handled with care. I uh, wonder where uh, Ethan Waneri might be uh, 10 years from now. And uh, who knows, as Ephraim says, could even be playing for Nigeria, maybe. And uh, we had the latest uh, sad major incident of racism in football last Sunday in Spain, where the Spanish La Liga has condemned hate speech and says it will work with authorities after reports of racist chanting towards Real Madrid's Vinicius Jr. in the derby away to Atletico Madrid. Um, concerning story, and there's a lot of background to this story. Yes, so Vinicius Jr. dances every time he scores a goal. I think if you... Um Involved in football, if you've watched a football match anywhere in the world, it's just a cultural thing. You know, there are continents like Africa who enjoy dancing after scoring a goal. I'll take you to Roger Miller 1990 World Cup, famous dance that everyone loves. So that's what Vinicius Jr. does. But now it has been viewed as disrespectful in Spain. They are not tolerating his dances. And this has led to racist chance towards Vinicius Jr. Now, things got really nasty during a television broadcast when agent Pedro Bravo said during a Spanish television discussion uh, that um, in Spain, you have to respect rivals and stop playing the monkey. Now, this led to social media going crazy over this racist remark. And he has since uh, said, no, I didn't mean it that way. I used a terrible metaphor. So Vinicius Jr. then responded on Twitter, Steve, saying the happiness of a black Brazilian in Europe is behind all this criticism of my goal celebrations. So that is how this all started. And when the Madrid derby came in the most horrible manner possible to offset your opponent, 
the fans took to racist chants and monkey chants and things of that nature. Atletico Madrid went on to lose the game. Vinicius and, and Rodrigo celebrated, of course, by dancing, as Brazilians do. And it's been going on and on and on. So now the question is, are you allowed to dance? Is dancing inappropriate? We've seen dancing happening in the Spanish La Liga through Ronaldinho, you, you name them. The Brazilians have been dancing in the Spanish La Liga for a long time. They're called the Samba Boys for crying out loud. So for me, when I look at this story, it's just an excuse for those people who are not socialized well enough to realize that, you know, racism is bad and racism, there's no room for racism in sport or in society. They're just taking advantage of these dances and calling them offensive and trying to justify these racist chants. For me, they've got no leg to stand on, Steve. And again, we'll ask if anything will uh, come out uh, of uh, what the La Liga has said, uh, work with authorities, if that will actually yield anything. In, in the Spanish La Liga, it's it's difficult because... It's a soft stance that they take, you know. They 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 brought out they brought out a statement saying it's it's a minority of uh, of the Atletico Madrid fans, even though that's factual, Steve. But I, I don't think that's how you want to portray it. You want to be more firm when it comes to dealing with racism, and um, for uh, a Spanish broadcast to use those words like monkey to refer uh, in the same sentence as as as, a, as Vinicius Junior, it shows you that there's still a long long way to go, and. We'll just have to see what the Spanish La Liga does, if, if there are going to be any punishments that will be handed out. We know that the big two teams, Barcelona and Real Madrid, uh, those are the teams that are really firm when it comes to racism. Uh, but down there, as you go further down, uh, not much is being done. It's a soft stance so far from. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's Spanish La Liga, it's UEFA, it's FIFA, it's everyone who has to take this very seriously. Yes, yeah, so still a long way to go. Thanks, Ephraim. Right, that's it for the show for this week. Uh, no club football this weekend then uh, in Europe. The international friendlies are on around the world. We'll see how the African teams do get on. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.